So you've seen some of the classic music biopics of the last decade and a half or so. You've probably seen, you know, Walk the Line. You've probably seen Ray. You've probably seen Bohemian Rhapsody. There have been a lot of biopics about musicians. Mm -hmm. But there is one musician who I feel does not get his due, and there's a great biopic about him. This is the great Dewey Cox. Oh. Kay, have you seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? Mr. Cox. Mr. Cox. Give him a minute, son. Dewey Cox needs to think about his entire life before he plays. From the time he was a boy. Ain't no six-year-old understand the true meaning of the blues. I reckon I might. I don't know that cut my brother in half. Not bad for your first time. The music of Dewey Cox Take my hand has had an effect on people. It's the devil's music. From the guy who brought you Talladega Nights and Superbad. You have got to give up this dream. You're never going to make it. And maybe you don't believe in me after all. I do believe in you. I just know you're gonna fail. Columbia Pictures presents The Epic Journey. Walking to the top of a mountain ain't easy. It's a long, hard walk. But I will walk hard. Of the man who became a legend. Walk hard. The Beatles want to hang out, so I'm gonna go do that. With meditation, there's no limit to what we can imagine. This Christmas... I'm leaving you! You can take the children, but you leave me, my monkey. When it comes to music... I ain't good enough to follow Elvis. There's two things you need to know. I'm the king, and number two is... Look out, man! You see how close I came to your head? I can chop a man in half. I'm guilty as John! No legend is bigger than Cox. You met my new wife, Cheryl Cox T. Thanks, buddy Holly. What do you think, George Harrison? The one, the only, Dewey Cox. Well, thank you, Eddie Vader. Walk hard. What happened to you, Dewey? I don't know, but I know what happened to you. Patrick Duffy took a beating. Walk hard. My life has been blessed. From Hello, welcome back to K. Have You Seen? The movie podcast with hot takes on cold viewings. My name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And today we are going to be talking about the 2007 uh, very true-to-life biopic, so Walk good. Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. The, Riveting. The true story of America's true rock and roll founding father, uh, Dewey Cox. <laughs> um, now before we actually get into the movie, of course, uh, if you like what you hear on K Have You Seen, by all means, please do leave us a, a five-star review rating on iTunes or wherever you hear your podcasts. Of course, be sure to subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we love to uh, we love to engage with our listeners, and uh, you never know. Shoot us a list of uh, movies that you really like, and we might even choose you to uh, uh, be a guest on this program. Even you, lucky listener. Absolutely. Um, we are always taking uh, emails of any sort, though, at uh, khyspodcast at gmail.com. Oh, that is a statement that I will surely never have come back to bite me in the ass. We'll take yeah. emails of, of any sort. Any sort. Literally anything. Um, but yeah, so today's movie is, uh, it's a parody of the music biopic genre that I think now more than ever, it, it, I feel like it grows in relevance every time another music biopic comes out. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we are in the middle of a bunch of them. 
This one is most obviously related to Walk the Line, yes. which I actually haven't seen. So we can talk a little bit. Have you? Have you I have seen Walk the Line. I, I'm curious how if there's anything that went over my head because I didn't watch it. I'm, I don't I'm think guessing. so. Really? Okay. <laughs> I don't think so, okay. not really. Um, a, a pretty direct reference to Johnny Cash, and I haven't seen Walk mm -hmm. the Line, so wondered if there's some things I'm missing. But it is so, like, it's just, it maps onto literally any music biopic, so we can talk about that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny to me that after this movie came out, there were really not a lot of like biopics about musicians coming out for a little while, and I think that it was because maybe, because this movie did not make a huge impact right off the bat. It wasn't a huge yeah. money maker, didn't make a really big splash with the critics or anything like that. It did become kind of one of those, you know, as most Judd Apatow-related comedies did around this time, become pretty popular on home video, and, you know, it became kind of like a crowd-pleaser sort of a movie with, uh, you know, with people that enjoyed just studio comedies, but... I think that the people who would have been greenlighting music biopics around that time kind of got a little skittish <laughs> because this movie is so on the nose with the way it parodies this whole subgenre. Um, I mean, there were still some coming out, and they kind of started to trickle out uh, with... Um, I'm trying to remember what the, the first one... I don't know what the actual first one after it, but the first one that I can remember coming out since this movie was the one where Chadwick Boseman plays James Brown. Um, and since then, we've also had Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man. We've had a few, um, and there's more on the horizon. It seems like coming out soon, yeah. but it yeah. seems like they're all still doing the same stuff that this movie was making fun of when, like, because it is specific to Ray and Walk the Line, which both came out around like 2004, 2005 ish, and both had a lot in common, and. So it, it, I find that really interesting that uh, the, the caution of the studios kind of went out the window. Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. There definitely was a bit of a lull, but it is funny how like even the biopics now, thinking about Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, which I think both of us saw, you could take the like side commentary or the meta commentary mm -hmm. that the different characters make and still probably map it on to those different beats in the movie and it would work perfectly. Yes. Like the, he has to think about his whole life before yes. performing and stuff. Totally sounds like the rehab scene in Rocket Man, a movie which I loved. Like I liked that, but it also sounds exactly like the very beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody, where it starts at Live Aid right yeah. before the big Live Aid performance. In the hallway, yes. literally just like yes. there he is. Yep, yep, yep. And we talked when we had a um, friend of the show, uh, John, on the, uh, uh, on the podcast to discuss Darkest Hour, the biopic mm -hmm. about non-musician. Uh, Winston Churchill, and we kind of talked a little bit about Bohemian Rhapsody during that discussion and what I didn't like about it. And I was going to say that that movie did everything that Walk Hard made fun of, mm. but you hadn't seen Walk Hard at the time, and so I was like, well, I'll save that until we have this conversation in the episode. near future. Um, but yeah, it's so crazy how not only have the studios moved back to kind of gotten more bold about doing these music biopics again, but they're literally doing the exact things that this movie was making fun of as tired cliches 12 years ago. Yeah, which is it impossible to do a movie without these? Like, I, I don't know, you know. Well, I have, I have, I took notes of as many 
music biopic cliches as I could, uh, so that as nice. we go through the as we go through this, I mean, I I, I can call oh, these out um, because it's funny how many of these played straight. This story could if if there wasn't for the jokes, this story mm -hmm. is exactly like so many of the different oh, like totally. trajectories that are as we all know, like nobody's real life follows a clear narrative trajectory from birth to death. Yeah. That just, just doesn't happen that way. And so, um, or even the course of a career doesn't really follow that kind of a trajectory right. almost ever. And so we know that everyone's life story in a biopic has to get kind of mushed into a standard narrative format. Mm -hmm. It's just funny how many of the very specific beats occur in so many of them. Yeah, yeah, that's, we'll talk about this, because yeah. they clearly even break the movie into the different early Dewey. That was early Dewey. Dewey, this that is was the middle dark Dewey. period, and then there's, of course, late Dewey, which, it's funny, the middle Dewey to late Dewey, like, we fast-forwarded through some of that, which we'll, we'll get into all of that, but, yeah. um. Um, but yeah, for anyone who has not seen this movie before, the general idea is that it is, of course, a parody of the music biopics that were coming out at the time and had been for many years uh, in, in little cycles. Um, the idea of the movie is that there's this legendary musician named Dewey Cox, played by John C. Riley, mm -hmm. brilliantly, I, I would say, um, and he's reflecting on the trials and tribulations of his life from the heights of fame and excess to the depths of drug addiction and lots of family drama. Mm. Uh, all of this within the framing narrative of playing at his own life achievement, Lifetime Achievement Award uh, ceremony. Um, so that's the setup here. And it, mm -hmm. if you've ever seen any music biopic, Ray, Walk the Line, Great Balls of Fire, Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man, uh, The Buddy Holly Story, any of this stuff, Get on up. It's all the same story. Yes. Um, so you know what's going to happen before it happens, which in my opinion kind of makes it a little bit more enjoyable because you know exactly. It's like anticipating what the punchline of a joke is and then when it actually confirms that you were right, it's sometimes twice as funny. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, that's kind of that, that was kind of how I viewed it anyway. Yeah. I, I'll say right at the top, I didn't love this movie. Very fair. Mostly because I think everything funny, you basically just summarize. The whole yeah. guiding principle of this movie is, aren't biopics full of cliches? <laughs> Music biopics specifically. Which is funny you bring up, John, but like I thought you were going to go somewhere in the realm of, it would be hilarious to see like a historical biopic yes, parody. Yes, I, I agree. That I would be interested in. Yeah. I will talk about this and maybe you can change my mind. Maybe I didn't look deep enough, but... I feel like for something like this to be funny, it really has to have some kind of philosophy but behind why this is worth parodying. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just like an SNL sketch. Yeah. It's just a like, isn't it funny how movies keep doing this and mm -hmm. we've seen the same trope over and over again. And I don't think that Walk Hard ever really got past the just like, isn't it funny this, that this always happens? Yeah. It's like, ha ha. And there was, no, there was no like through line to really be like, wow, this is smart. Like this gets what this genre is and why it's worth kind of giving it another hour and a half to of me, our time. I'm glad that you're bringing this up because to me, the parody angle of it is far from my favorite part. It's like mm. not even close to my favorite thing about it. There's so many other things about it that I think are really funny and interesting and good. And the parody part of it is only really funny in as much as this is a movie parodying cliches 12 years ago and there are still movies being made today that are doing the exact same thing Ooh, okay. and so it's like it the movie itself doesn't become funnier for that but it is funny to me that a movie came out as a comedy that 
all these music bi biopics are doing these exact same things. And oh, now we're more than a decade on, and it's still happening. It's and timeless. so that fact is more funny to me than the movie itself. Gotcha. Um, okay. But I would say that the things that do stand out to me as being really good, I mean, it is a dumb comedy, and I do appreciate kind of the dumb comedy and the mm -hmm. way they take some of these cliches and turn them into jokes, I kind of appreciated. Um, but also the music itself, it's like, very much like this is Spinal Tap, I think that the music, that the fake, quote-unquote, fake songs, which are real songs composed mm -hmm. and performed by real people, <laughs> um, are not bad. I mean, I don't think that there are things I would necessarily just listen to, but they are well-constructed and musically good songs, I would say. I won't lie. Uh, Walk Hard definitely got stuck in my head, like, day is after. Yeah, yeah. It's like... That's my creed. That's my code. The, uh, hard. the Bob Dylan song sounds yeah. exactly like a Bob Dylan song. Yes, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> good. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I can see where the timelessness is funny. I just, I think some of it fell a little flat to me because I was That's like, fair. okay, what's, the, what's your point? Yeah. Why are we here? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can kind of dive in. Sure. So tell me a little bit about your background first. When did you first see this? Obviously, I, you've seen it. I've seen it many, many times over yeah. the years. I saw this in the theaters um, with my dad, uh, which was a which uh, we weren't <laughs> expecting it to be quite as raunchy as it did. But it was it it's was a music know. biopic. Okay, <laughs> this is a really fucking dark period. It's it, it funny because like we we had seen Ray in the theaters together, and we'd seen Walk the Line in theaters together. So when this came out, I was you know I was in high school, and so at that point I was not. I wasn't not as interested in the fact that, oh, this is a music biopic parody. That seems like a smart idea. As much as I was like, oh, I understand what this is about, and it looks funny. Mm -hmm. And so we both went into it that way. I liked it a lot more than my dad did, I think. <laughs> um, and uh, I think his exact words as we were walking out was like, I wasn't expecting so many dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Which, dad, to, be fair, to, to be fair, to be fair. Hey, that is you true. You know what? Not, I, this is, is anyone, how it's yeah. ahead of its time. Exactly. Yeah. HBO is just now catching up to uh, yeah, equalizing <laughs> the gender nudity. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I've watched it many times over the years. My friends and I from high school, we've like repeatedly quoted a lot of lines to each other back and forth. And sometimes we forget that we're even just quoting. It's just like kind of seeped into our lexicon. Yeah. It's like it's the cheapest shit there is, or uh, <laughs> you know. You know, you don't want it. I think I kind of want it. It was a big one. Um, a one. Ain't nothing bad going to happen today, Dewey. Oh, that was, you're like, yes. Ain't nothing horrible going to happen today. That's one of those lines that it's like, I could believe they've lifted that straight <laughs> from some biopics of mm -hmm. all genres. Like, you yeah. know that kid's going to die. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but I rewatch this movie every couple of years because okay. I've got most of it committed to memory at this mm -hmm. point. I feel like all the scene, you know, I could recite like the scene order without hesitation. It's it's just one of those movies that I've seen enough times at the right time in my life where it's just very easy for me to remember what happens, remember a lot of the lines. As the movie's going on, I can more or less quote a lot of the key scenes <laughs> verbatim. It's, it, it's just a fun time for me. Nice. Um, plus, I, I think that there's not enough... I, I, I like this movie a lot in the same way that I like uh, Blazing Saddles, mm. where it's a very kind of meta-commentary... Uh, version of a parody. Mm -hmm. um, it, it feels as though it has a true affection for the genre that it's parodying, and it's not just like a meet the Spartans, let's throw every cultural reference at the wall that we have kind yeah. of a parody. Because yeah. that becomes not as much a parody as just like a stew of references, and I'm not as interested in, in that. I like the commitment to the bit. Yeah. 
Interesting that you went for Meet the Spartans, not Scary Movie, but... Well, the permutations of Scary Movie that led to Meet the Spartans gotcha. 36 version, 36 movies later, Meet that's kind of the like thing. Meet the Spartans is like the Franken-baby yeah. of yeah. Scary Movie, which movie. could be kind of affectionate. Yeah. But, scary okay. Movie I kind of like. I mean, yeah, the first yeah, couple yeah. Scary Movies are actually not bad. Yeah, true that. Um, I, for myself, I remember this coming out. I remember other friends, especially friend of the show from way back when, Jeb Purcell, uh -huh, one of our uh -huh. first guests. Um, I believe our I, actual first I guest. I think that was our actual first guest. Shout out to Jeb. Um, I remember him being really into this movie and just friends who were into movies mm -hmm. and into comedy like that, you know, the, the people who were into kind of that Judd mm -hmm. Apatow humor being into this. I never watched it. It really, it came in that middle period of like you call them, the Judd Apatow attached mm -hmm. yep. comedies. He, I think, produced and wrote this one, but didn't direct e it. Correct, yeah. Um, and it was like right in the middle. I think it was before Pineapple Express, but after Knocked Up. So yeah, this it, is yeah. this is like right after Knocked Up because Knocked Up was two thousand six. This is two thousand seven. Pineapple Express was two thousand eight. Yeah, so it was you know it was one of those like middle child movies that uh -huh. I kind of missed um and and it never got as popular as either of those two right. and you know the other movies surrounding it so so i just missed this one for the long time the longest time but was familiar you know kind of new i've also it seemed so directly related to johnny cash and i'm not a huge right. yeah johnny cash not I'm, i mean of course recognize him as an icon oh, but yeah. i'm not like there are people who are really into really johnny into cash, it yeah and i cannot claim that so um yeah so I, it just kind of missed me and Never had the occasion to watch it, but glad I got the chance now. It was interesting. I do generally like the people attached to this. Yeah. I mean, Judd Apatow has had some hit and misses with me and in general, but I generally like him. And um, mm -hmm. I wasn't familiar with the director before this, Jake Kasdan. Yeah, Jake Kasdan. But he has some good stuff looking at his, yeah. uh, especially in the TV sphere. He's done, mm -hmm. do you ever watch The Grinder? Uh, I remember watching the first couple of episodes of it. That was the, the, the like the legal parody yeah. with uh, uh, Rob Lowe. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, that show was hilarious. Savage. And uh -huh. Yeah, I loved that. I didn't stick with it, but I got my parents turned on to it, uh -huh. and they stuck. It, and I was like, "This is a show for them." I'm. That was my role in this show. Was like bringing it to the people who would yes. truly love it. But New Girl, which is one of my favorite shows, and and yeah, he has some really great stuff. So. A lot of, and of course, John C. Riley has some, obviously, some very funny movies. Yeah, he's, he, he's also uh, a hit and misser, but ranging from you know everything from Step Brothers to Boogie Nights. You know, he's done yeah. some like really great. Yeah, and, and forgotten like, and, he was in that. Yeah. And a couple of other, you know, he's been in Scorsese movies. You know, he's a right. good actor, and he's also very good at doing comedy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, I agree, hit or miss. I would say in terms of like whether he's funny or not when he's trying to be funny. Yeah. And this was also kind of the era of Kristen Wiig. Like, you kind of knew who she was, but she wasn't really, like, leading. Like, like she yes. was kind of a, a you know, B-level. You could put her in. Some people would be like, oh, SNL. And some people yeah. would be like, I don't know who that woman is. Yeah, so is it's kind of even, funny seeing her in that bit part. Yeah, it's still kind of early in her SNL career, if yeah, I remember right. I think, I, think so. I don't remember when she, her first year was, but this was must have been, like, one of her first years. Yeah. And um, then Jenna Fisher, who... Just had been on the uh, office for a few years at this point. Office. Yeah, this was when they were still trying to put her in movies. <laughs> I kind of like her in this movie. I love Jenna Fisher. It just, it just didn't happen. But I love, <laughs> I love her, and I loved seeing her. And she did a really good job. They, yeah, we'll talk about. Kristen Wiig definitely but. played her part better than Jenna Fisher played her part. But so 
funny. And I think she, Kristen Wiig had one of my favorite lines in the movie, which was, don't you dare write a song about this right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which was one of the funniest parts of the movie because like that happens in every music biopic. Yeah. Again, check that one off your bingo card because like real life situation where a phrase morphs into a song. Yes. yes. And he had already established the like, walk hard. or like It's a long, done... hard walk. Yeah. And I'm going to walk it. And it's hard. gone hard. Yeah. But he had done the like, says words and then says them again. Uh-huh. Pensively. And then he was doing, this was like the second or third time they did this bit and Kristen was <laughs> like, don't you dare write a song right now. And that was, in, w within the same scene, there's that one part which is like, uh, don't leave me, Edith. Why don't you title another song? Like, why don't you make that the title of your next song? And he's crying. And he's like, that's not a bad title, but please don't leave. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And she's always got babies. Like, she's just the like, <laughs> Dowdy, and uh, they're playing up the ages and stuff, but we'll we'll get into the beat. Absolutely, beat. absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, I, I did listen a little bit to the commentary on this one uh, mm -hmm. after actually just watching it through for this uh, for this recording. The director's it, commentary. Yeah, the it was it was it was uh, Jake Kasdan, the director and co-writer. It was Judd Apatow who co-wrote. It was the producer, and it was um, John C. Riley. Oh, and it was pretty that interesting. I think I would find very interesting. Interesting things. commentary track. Um, among some of the things that they were talking about on there was just, you know, the way that uh, um, Kasdan said that he just, who, by the way, is the son of legendary screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Big Chill. Wow. Um, and uh, they've been writing partners before. Um, but anyway, they were talking about how, like, more, less about this movie specifically, but more about how Apatow recruits people on to projects is, like, uh, he will he will call people up and and uh, uh, talk to them for like an hour about something and be like, yeah. Anyway, I was thinking about that idea that you were talking about at that party the other day. Um, it, it's probably nothing. I mean, we can talk about it later. But uh, if you want to come over to my office, maybe next week, and we can chit chat about it. Anyway, see ya. And that's just the way he, he said. Like yeah, next thing I knew, I'd signed on to like a sixty million dollar movie. <laughs> <laughs> he is a tribe man. You got to know that uh, Judd Apatow is he, he's, he's a got very, a web. He's a very shrewd uh, producer, <laughs> I would say. Um, but anyway, no, it was that was interesting. So there's a couple little nuggets from that that uh, um, I, I'd like to bring in uh, occasionally as we're going through this. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, real quick before we get into the plot synopsis, uh, the movies that I would pair with this one, I, mean, I already mentioned Spinal Tap. Um, yeah, I think that definitely. this has a lot in common with that movie. They're both mm -hmm. parody, like parodies of like different kinds of quote-unquote true stories about fake bands. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, for context, Walk the Line or Ray or both, or really any music biopic that's come out in the last 30 years. Yeah. It would be, would be really... Uh, 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 helpful in helping you understand what exactly this movie is making fun of. And then once you see this movie, any subsequent music biopics, you will, I mean, that's the thing, is like, have you watched any music biopics since watching Walk Hard? Not since, no. Okay. Next one you watch, you're going to be like, oh my god. Uh, can't unsee it. You're not necessarily going to think it's funny, but it will be kind of crazy that it's like, oh man, this is so accurate. Anyway. <laughs> um... So yeah, how about you? Any any other movies that you came to mind for you? I mean, the obvious one is Walk the Line. Like mm -hmm. that is the one that clearly, even having not seen it, I'm familiar enough to know that he is supposed to be Johnny Cash, uh -huh. and this is supposed to be Walk the Line. Um, yeah, I, I think you know all the music biopics. Basically, mm -hmm. this is also all the Judd Apatow movies tend yeah. to feel like a box set sometimes. Yep. So Talladega Nights kept coming to mind because there's a lot of just that John yeah. C. Riley-ness when he gets to be a full-on kind of redneck goof. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I mean, this is so clearly part of like these intersecting yeah. sets of biopics that it's parroting and 
Judd Apatow movies yeah. that any of those. Pick one and it'll go together. Well, also, and I just remember this right now was the, um, remember on VH1, you might be a little too young to remember because I was like a little, a li almost too young to remember this. <laughs> it was like on VH1, they used to have a lot of made-for-TV music biopics about like oh. Meatloaf or the Monkees or people <laughs> like that. And they were very over-the-top and cheesy with a like, fair to middling acting and really predictable like storylines about how like the band got famous and then they hated each other and then they got back together in the end that's and it um, yeah. I I don't think I've seen those but what I'm picturing is like those crime dramas where they like reenact kinda. the crime with, like for but for 90 minutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah there those were those are pretty entertaining um, and then also um, uh, there was a biopic about um, Blanking on his name right now. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. There's a Jerry Lee Lewis oh, biopic yeah. from the 80s. Dennis Quaid played Jerry yes. Lee Lewis. Great Balls of Fire. Great Balls of Fire. I had forgotten about that one. I loved it. It's Winona Ryder, too. It's Winona yeah. Ryder and Den Dennis Quaid when they were both kind of like really at their peak, mm -hmm. um, I would say. And Jerry it's, Lee Lewis. it's not a bad movie, but it's really kind of unintentionally funny because it's so over the top and weird. Um, but this... Uh, this movie, I think, has a lot in common with that. Oh, oh the one thing from the commentary that I wanted to mention mm. as context for going into this whole discussion was that um, Judd Apatow was talking about how he and Jake Kasdan, very early on in development, what they decided was that they wanted to make this movie as though not only is this is the actual content a parody, but the kind of meta-textual parody of the way people make music biopics. Mm. So that kind of like the bigger joke was that the people making this movie were treating it as though it was the most important story ever told <laughs> and the most important film ever made. And I was like, huh, didn't pick that up on my own, but now that you mention it, that does make it a lot more entertaining in my opinion. That's, uh, it didn't occur to me at the end that this is such a like, a play within a play. Like, yeah, yeah. This, is a mu this is a parody of a music biopic. Yeah. Therefore, we're kind of not supposed to believe that John C. Riley is Dewey Cox like <laughs> right, he's yes, yeah. Dewey Cox is someone else yes, John C. Riley yes, is playing exactly like and uh, obviously like ha 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 he's an actor but there's a double layer he's yeah, not yeah. just this is an actor playing a man who is not a real man right who is not just the actor yes. he is Dewey Cox is supposed to be someone else and that I didn't think about it till the very <laughs> end and I was like oh man I could re-watch that movie and think about that, and I yes. feel like it'd add a little bit more texture. And that, and that John C. Riley is an actor who is like trying to give this the most gravitas possible at yeah. every possible moment. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So just a couple of other things that we that you know had floating around uh, uh, while I was watching this film. Mm. Anyway, so let's jump right into the plot here. So we begin with what I'm, I divided this into early Dewey, middle Dewey, and late Dewey for the, for the, for the movie plot discussion. As uh, the movie itself discussion. does. It does, yeah, of course. So early Dewey begins with the framing narrative, of course. The movie begins with the framing narrative of him thinking about his entire life before he goes on stage, and we have a flashback to his idyllic childhood in rural Alabama with his younger brother, his very talented piano prodigy younger brother, Nate. Yep. Um who is also, uh, in addition to being able to uh, bang out some like real serious Chopin on the piano, <laughs> is um, clearly the fa their father's favorite, um, and also a total daredevil instigator, and he like convinces Dewey to do a lot of very dangerous activities, uh. Uh, culminating in the classic children's game of machete fight. Yep. Um, even though Pa gets real mad when we play with his machetes. Um, <laughs> As, whose Pa didn't though? <laughs> who wasn't a child? 
um, and this this ball. leads to the instigating uh, trauma of Dewey Cox's life, where he accidentally cuts his brother in half with a machete. Um, <laughs> that was one of my. Well, I think the machete fight thing was like just a little too much for me. I was like, it's like, because uh, what is this supposed to map onto? And just it's just supposed to be over the top. That's the yeah, joke, yeah. like the end. Um, well, but because I the, did... Ray, the Ray Charles biopic, his younger brother gets cut in half with a buzzsaw in a sawmill. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh, yeah. awful. Um, I did love the visual gag that, like, clearly the actors <laughs> were just sticking out of a hole in the yep, floor. Because yeah. their legs were, like, pro still standing where they stood, and their body was, like, perfectly yep. upright, just coming out of the floor. So you could tell they just... Yep, cut a hole yeah. in the damn floor. The, I did really like that. That made me laugh. Dewey, I'm halved. I'm halved. I don't have a lot of time, so you got to be double great for both of us. Yeah. In case and I then, don't, in case I don't make it. I love that. Like in case I don't make it, like he stands there <laughs> talking for the longest, and then we find out later. I was like, maybe that, maybe he's just gonna like live as a half person. Maybe yeah. that'll be the tragedy. But no, no, we find out the kid dies. The doctor, the wrong kid died. I, I promise I will not be repeating every great line from this movie or every line that I love, but the, the way the doctor comes out of the room dabbing sweat off of his forehead and said, this is a particularly bad case of a person being cut in half. <laughs> I was unable to attach the top half of his body back to the bottom half of his body. The doctor tried everything he could. <laughs> Sometimes it, it just doesn't English. work. <laughs> that was we ain't scientists. We ain't scientists. And then yes, the wrong kid died, which uh, it's you a know common refrain. Throughout common the rest refrain. Of this yes. Movie. Um, so Dewey has to now live with this trauma for the rest of his days, and we flash forward to fifteen-year-old Dewey Cox performing in the high school talent show, playing the most wholesome song of all time, which triggers a massive pandemonium riot in the state in the aisles. Yeah, um, which I loved that too. Every time. Because that's one moment that you're just like in a biopic. I feel like almost no one can not roll their eyes at yeah. it when everyone's just like, what? This is quality music. Oh, this is the most dance. revolutionary like, music I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, because who has like, I don't, who's heard something and been like, I know quality music and this is it. Yeah, We're exactly. going to change the world. Like, yeah. So, of course, the whole like assembly just gets up and dances. The yes. kids are in a trance. They have Girls to. are ripping their clothes off. Yeah. Boys are punching preachers. It's just <laughs> absolute madness. And then, of course, the uh, torches and pitchforks come yeah. after <laughs> yes. Dewey because he's bringing sin to their small town yes. with his um, devil music. Which, by the way, that song, and they talk about this in the commentary, that now, as anyone with ears can hear, it is the most wholesome and innocuous song ever composed, yep. but that was an original song, and it was probably the most like a real song song mm. of the entire movie. If any song in the movie you could you could pull out and say that this could have been like an Everly Brothers song from like 1959, it would be this one, because yep. uh, there's no real jokes in it. It's literally just a song about holding hands. Um, but anyway, they talked about having that song composed for the movie. Um, but yeah, so he gets kicked out of the house, and he leaves with his 13-year-old girlfriend... <laughs> Played by. I love when they do that. Like, <laughs> we, of course you're coming with me. You're my 13 year old girlfriend. Like, played by Kristen, Kristen Stewart. Kristen, Kristen Wiig. Whoa. Wow. Weird. Actually weird Freudian slip. Yep. Um, but anyway, so uh, this leads to Dewey having some early struggles. He ends up working at a nightclub um, uh, straight out of uh, the movie Ray, yep. um, <laughs> run by uh, I cannot remember his last name. Craig. Oh shoot! I can't remember. Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson. Yeah. And he's he's the headliner. He's not necessarily running. That's the club. right. There's yeah. the other guy who's like 
Craig, no, you can't get up on stage. Get back to mopping, boy. Yeah, Craig Robinson, uh, he doesn't run the show, but he doesn't run the club, but he runs the club. You know, yeah. he is, he's the headliner, he's the main act. Um, and Dewey is mopping floors in the back until Craig Robinson uh, has laryngitis on the same day that he punches at his landlord so he can't sing or play guitar. <laughs> and so Dewey Cox has to step in and he's a sensation. Um, Which basically. also was a little bit like, because he just basically has been studying rote how. Yes. Uh, Craig Robinson performs, and so he just performs the same way. And this yes. is, of course, like this is supposed to be like the fifties, so it's like a yeah, it's like nineteen fifty three or something. Yeah, and so he's like just going full like but this is, into the song. It's a, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a black nightclub, and it is a very he gets into some very questionable uh, it's like uh, phrasing. Like, you gotta love your Negro man. That is or the something. name of the and song. Like, yes, yeah, and it's of course John C. Riley. Yes doughy white dude yeah. just singing it and everyone's like <gasps> and then they're like oh, wait so good but this is the part of that that I think is really funny and, and this is one of the few moments that I think is legitimately brilliant in the movie is because it hybridizing Ray and Walk the Line together because Ray in the movie Ray Ray Charles is performing in one of these clubs mm -hmm. and but it is also kind of something that most music biopics don't get into especially about white musicians from this era ripping off black musicians and profiting mm. from the style of music that they rip off from like these black musicians by literally performing the exact same songs in the exact same way, which Dewey does precisely, but there were lots of musicians, Elvis, Pat Boone, you mm -hmm. name it, who literally founded their entire careers on doing this, but yeah. in real life. In the movie, it's a joke, but it's also a very well-informed joke, I think, yeah, that's um, true, taking that's true. the real-life story. And so I thought that was extremely clever because they took something from the movie Ray. But then again, it's also stealing a scene from the movie Ray <laughs> for a movie about a white musician. It's so, it's like so layered and, and I, I found it really fascinating yeah. and interesting. Well, that's, I, they hit so hard on some of the jokes. They could have like pushed that one a little bit further and made it a little more obvious. Yeah. For how much, I don't know. There just were some jokes that they pushed too far and it never came back around to being the whole like funny unfunny funny right. thing so like eh, that one that one went over my head and I feel like they could have done a little bit more. I don't know I, I maybe they could have done a little bit more but I, I don't know I, I feel like this movie kind of it is uneven in the way that it kind of goes. I mean, I, I definitely think it's obvious that it is self-aware enough to be doing that on purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they necessarily came across that way. Um, but at any rate, yeah, I agree. I, I think it could have been, this movie could have been a lot better if it was all like that level of joke where it was mm -hmm. that like kind of like meta commentary type yeah. of joking. Um, but it, it's not. And there's just, you know, it, I, I don't know. It, it, it is a little bit all over the place, which I think is a little bit of a detriment. Um, but at any rate, by doing this performance, this also happens to be the exact night that the uh, A&R men from the record studio come to, to the nightclub to see Craig Robinson perform. But um, they actually, the, um, you know, the Hasidic Jewish uh, uh, record executives, yep. I, that's a kind of a weird poll, in my opinion. I but, didn't know if that was like a, you know, Hollywood is Jewish type thing. Yeah, Jews if run the entertainment like, industry. Exactly. Like, as that's told what they by were... two Jewish filmmakers. Fair enough. Yeah. You know? I, I yeah, I, I thought that's what they were getting at, but I was like, I don't understand. I don't know. Whatever. 
Um, but anyway, so then Dewey is invited to the studio to cut his first record. And in one of the funniest uh, cuts I ever seen, they're playing That's Amore. And the, uh. <laughs> like, they're playing like this this like rockabilly version of That's Amore in the recording yeah. booth. And it's god awful. That's so funny. That was just a terrible version. Really bad. Um, and but, I loved it. Because this moment is another that's like always in. But they're like... Just follow me. I made up a song. Everyone right. can play it. It's like, and none of these songs are good. He's like, well, let me play one of my own songs. It's like, there is nothing, nothing at all you can possibly uh. do that's going to change my mind about how bad you guys are. <laughs> and the next, like, the absolute last possible moment is yep. this original original composition where it's like, yeah, exactly like you said, Kari. Uh, just follow me, guys. Just keep up. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hit. I don't care how good of a musician you are. And not being a musician myself, you know what? Maybe it's true. But, like... I feel like all those guys would be like, what? Like, yeah. no metronome. Yeah. No, like, in the key of none of that. Just yeah. like a five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> but it was really funny. Yeah. Obviously, they can get away with it in a parody. Um, but yeah, they, they get their big hit, and they have that great montage of the first hit where... Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Kenneth from 30 Rock is a DJ and says, this is that new hit song recorded 36 minutes ago by Dewey Cox. Yeah. <laughs> there are almost no background people in this that are not yeah. someone. Every every character is a cameo, essentially. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's great. Um, and uh, so this leads to fame and fortune overnight, uh, but it also leads to marital troubles oh, and no. experimenting with drugs. Yes. He only has six children on the way. How could he leave his family to go uh, on the road? And there's a, there's another one of those great lines that I love where he says, uh, where Kristen Wiig keeps telling him, you're never going to make it, Dewey. And he says, I don't know. I think for being 15 with a wife and kid, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, there's that great moment where they are on tour. And, um, oh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is like, the, the kind of like triple bill night, the, 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 uh, the major uh, uh, super lineup yes. where it's like, it's Buddy Holly, played by Frankie Muniz. Yep. To the big bopper. Oh, I miss Frankie Muniz. Elvis, that was such a great... Elvis, played by Jack White. Yes. And, and do, then Dewey Cox. That's what I thought. I forgot to look it up. But yeah, Jack White. It is Jack White. Oof, yeah, amazing. remember when Jack White was an actor for a couple of years? Oh, I didn't. I don't yeah. remember that, but I guess he was. He was in like a handful of movies and for what they said in the commentary was he showed up and he showed up. Like when he came in, they were like expecting him to kind of be like, okay, like music guy, whatever. He doesn't know what he's doing. But he apparently showed up on the day of, and he, they only had it for like one day. And he was like, yeah, what are we doing today? And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with whatever. They, and and like, he was open to suggestions. He was open to improving. Oh. And like he said that like he had his Elvis character just like ready to go. Like he was, just came in loaded for bear on this Elvis character. Wow. Elvis um, is one. Of, he, I loved how he played Elvis because he's one of those, like I loved Elvis as a kid. I loved oh, really? him. Really? Yes. I like... The oldest station, I vividly remember asking, like, my mom or my aunt to be like, turn it on the Elvis station. Wow, okay. Which was, like, uh, Fox 97, uh -huh. if you're from, you know, Atlanta yeah. kids know what I'm talking about, maybe. Um, and I would be like, where's the Elvis? Like, they're not playing Elvis. And they're like, it's not actually an Elvis station. Like, that's not. These were the days before Pandora and Spotify. Um, but now being a little older and and, you know, the things I've picked up i don't really yeah i had never dove deep into elvis history but like he actually was a, a quite a disturbed and he troubled a, dude he's like, a fascinating person yeah in a lot of ways that are dark. not positive um yeah. yeah and and so much darker than the like glossy beautiful blue hawaii oh, elvis yeah. you picture so it, i thought i liked his playing elvis as this kind of very on edge yeah 
Elvis is hungry, so he changed slots with you. Yeah, like, he's, that he's was super, so good. Like super selfish, wackadoo lunatic. Like yeah, he does the like fake out punch the thing, things. The thing, I'll, like, I'll, I'll put it in the clip instead of just imitating it right now. But like one of the lines. Go ahead and imitate it. We'll all see right, which well, better. Like, <laughs> back to back. Yeah. Uh, but like the part where he comes in and is like, "Look out, man!" <laughs> it's called karate. <laughs> Only two kind of people knew that: the Chinese and the king. <laughs> and I'm the king. That's uh, it, like it just it. That's a good. Parody. I listened to a whole, um, I think there's another podcast I listen to called Witch Please. They talk a lot about Harry Potter stuff. It's great. Go look it up. Uh-huh. I don't think they do it anymore, but um, they went in a whole like philosophy of parody. I think that's where I heard this. Um, and it's just when you can really distill the essence of something without oh, necessarily yeah. having to imitate it. That's what that felt like, and I was like, yeah. amazing. Exactly, like, yeah. And there was a lot of that in the celebrity cameos as musicians, which, like, mm-hmm. when the Beatles come up later, I think that was also kind of part of it, too. Yeah. Um, but, like, Jack White, Jack White as Elvis, and then when he finally, like, walks off set, and uh, uh, and Dewey Cox's like, what the fuck was that guy talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so good. Because um, I have to imagine. Uh, but they also talked about, in the commentary, they talked a lot about, like, what, like reading, not watching, reading, like, uh, biographies of Elvis because they, in addition to watching biopics, they also read actual biographies, and they were talking about how like a lot of like the really n- insane stuff about Dewey from like mm-hmm. this early period, mid period thing. A lot of that was stuff that Elvis just did to like really? people in his band and people on tour and stuff like that. Like they said that the scene where Dewey and uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but like one of the ba- I think the bassist for the band when they were mm-hmm. walking along, they've each got like a girl on their shoulder. Oh and yeah. And he's like, "Hey, I like, like your so- girl better. Let's let's switch." And he's like, "Dewey, that's my wife." Apparently, Elvis did that oh, uh, in real life. Wow. Um, yeah, Elvis is a weirdo, uh, interesting character that we could probably talk for many many episodes straight about. But um, and anyhow. Um, so yeah, this great, you know, this big thing happens, and then um, uh, I believe this is the night where uh, he gets introduced to uh, drugs for the first time, if I recall oh, yeah. correctly. Um, yes. But then there's also the marital troubles that he's having with, with Edith, and then uh, while they're on tour, he gets introduced to cocaine. Yep. It turns all your bad feelings into good feelings. Yeah. Um, first weed that's literally not addictive at all. It's not habit forming. It's non habit forming. Doesn't give you a hangover. The great, and that is another one of those great kind of scenes where it's like, oh no, the person that's introducing them to drugs, they're like, you don't want it. Yeah. All right, but fine. Well, okay. Okay, but yep. just get, okay, but just this once, get in here. <laughs> um, and then we're introduced to Darlene, Jenna mm-hmm. Fisher's character, um, who is the uh, Reese Witherspoon played this role in the Walk the Line movie, mm-hmm. and she actually did a really good job. I thought that was actually a good performance. Um, but the idea of this uh, other singer who the main character gets close to and ends up forming a relationship with that, even though they're still married, and oh my god, what are we going to do? Um, but Dewey doesn't have that problem because he just gets double married. Oh. Um, but before that, we have that great, um, uh, the other the one song that I, th- I think is really funny is the, um, um, shoot... The one he sings with Darlene, the like Darlene, double entendre Yeah, the one. really big double entendre. The montage I thought was really funny, like the carpentry part where like, oh, he's just yeah. banging up the banging the hammer on the, yeah. on the wood. It was really funny. I was like, what are they doing? Like, why uh-huh. are they doing all these things? And what what opportunities have they found to like yeah. build a house or whatever? They're horseback riding, which seems uh-huh. like something maybe rich famous people on the road would do. Sure. But that double married, not to you know, not yeah. to go too too deep on this fake double fake story but how did she not know he was married <laughs> yeah, he's very famous yeah. and also has songs explicitly about yeah. but maybe if i watched walk the line i would i would know a little bit more about that but yeah. that was yeah 
And at one point when someone's like, and it's illegal. And he's like, I didn't do anything illegal. And they're like, you can't get married twice. You can't be double married. That's yeah. illegal. It's like, what What about if you're what famous? If you're famous? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah. Wife it, finds out. Darlene finds out. Marriage is disintegrated they to both, both. They both leave him. Edith packs up the 12 kids and the chimp and all yeah. the exotic animals yeah. they've been collecting, which the was giraffe, also a hilarious, yeah. like... Yeah, that that was a smart, like, yeah, why do famous people do this? Like, yeah. Um, so then Dewey's now falling on hard times, and then we get Guilty as Charged. Another song that I think is actually pretty good. Yeah. I yeah. mean, of the of all the songs in this movie, I think that might be my favorite. Um, and then uh, he's, you know, crying on the tour bus. That was that was early Dewey. This is middle Dewey. <laughs> so now we're on to middle Dewey, where Dewey's busted for, for drug possession. He's in prison at 21. Einen 20 Jahre alt, as he tells the, uh, as he tells his, uh, his manager, yeah. um, uh, Harold Ramis. Um, but uh, he gets sent to rehab, uh, more blankets and less blankets. That okay, really that funny. joke was so dumb and made me laugh a lot. Like, it's good. It's fun. It's funny. I'm so cold. Give him more blankets. Yeah. I'm so hot. He needs less <laughs> blankets. Um, but That's yeah, how you cure uh, addiction, right? Blankets? Absolutely, yeah. Exactly. Just it's, the blankets. The blanket volume is really what yeah, the, and the I, cure is. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then uh, he gets a little bit, clean, he gets cleaned up, and uh, he gets, it's in the 60s now, and he's clean living in Berkeley in the 60s, and as they yep. say, the 60s are an important and exciting time, yes. uh, which is another line as that really makes say. me laugh. And um, he and Darlene have reunited. Yeah, um, and he decides that he wants to be more active socially, and so he starts getting into his Bob Dylan phase, where he's, he's writing protest songs uh, primarily for the benefit of the short panther party, uh, which I was, I kind of raised an eyebrow at that joke. That was a little bit in bad taste, but also I thought it was kind of a funny I did think it was thing. a funny reference to, like, a lot of, it just feels like they pick at random. Oh, yeah. Like, sometimes artists just become active, become mm -hmm. this this voice for some group, and it, it just feels like... yeah. Why though? Yeah. Why? Why do you care what about is your this? Motivation exactly, here? Yeah. and that's what I got out of this one is like absolutely. You know, it, it's just a thing that I care about, and I'm mm -hmm. gonna save these people. Absolutely, um, but uh, yeah, then we get the great scene where he is uh, in India with the Beatles. Oh, um, I did love that. Another really solid, awesome scene in this movie um, with uh, Jack Black as Paul McCartney. Uh, Paul Rudd as as uh, 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 John Lennon, mm -hmm. uh, Jason Schwartzman as, as Ringo Starr, oh. and um, uh, oh gosh, uh, Justin Long yes. as George Harrison, uh, which yeah. was a great. I would watch that movie. Back to back Schwartzman movies, also. Yeah, yeah, mm. Schwartzman brothers in in yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I I also would have watched. That movie. I would that watch was... a. Be I want them to make just a Beatles movie, not a movie about the Beatles, but like one of the Beatles, like Hard Days Night type movies. Oh yeah, 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 totally. I we would... make help with those guys. Yes. Oh boy, they were great. I did. That was another one that's just like you just felt like they were truly playing them. I don't yes. know. Did Paul McCartney ever get fat? They referenced I, him being fat, and I didn't know if I that was know. just like a, it's Jack Black, hee hee hee, or if it's like... I, I think he maybe got like a little bit chubbier for a little while. I'm not really sure. I, I really don't know. <laughs> they were really nailing the accents, too. Like, yeah. I mean, they, they went overboard at certain points, but in a way that was like, yes, mm -hmm. that is essence. 
Definitely. Um, also, I, I wrote in my notes, Hippie Dewey looks like a Neanderthal. Like, he looks like a Neanderthal from an anthropology textbook. I mean, uh, John C. Riley, like, a little bit always. He has but a heavy yes. brow already, so the long hair, it doesn't help. Not um, doing him any favors. Um, yeah, The also the... Um, the Yellow Submarine parody they do yeah, when, when they trip. trip acid. Yeah, yeah, it is so good. And it yeah. looked like you could have pulled it straight Absolutely. from Yellow Submarine. Was... Totally. Um, but uh, dropping acid, he has a uh, flashback to his traumatic childhood, of course, of mm -hmm. uh, cutting his brother in half. Um, but afterward, it seems as though he is now really into acid. And yeah. uh, we get that great thing where he's talking about, I'm going to do something better. Better than music. I'll call it schmusic. 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 Um, and uh, this leads into the kind of the, the Brian Wilson version of, mm -hmm. uh, of the parody where, um, like, you, how much do you know about Brian Wilson and, like, pet sounds? Not a t Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, I have not seen that movie, but I want to on yeah. the list. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I, yeah, I know the lore of the Beach Boys being, you know, there's the whole yeah. Mike versus Brian thing. Yeah. And, and he was the tortured genius and blah, blah, blah. So I know yeah. some. So, like, the whole deal was that with, with what this movie was making fun of with the whole, um, composing my masterpiece in the studio thing with like a hundred musicians in mm. at the same time in this cacophonous like mix of different sounds. That was all what like kind of a, do? yeah, like Brian Wilson was kind of the original person who was doing that. Mm. It was like, it, but doing it legitimately and trying to record something completely new. And he succeeded to a great extent, but it also was kind of the stuff of, 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 uh, Stuff of legend, but also the stuff of parody. Uh -huh. um, and so it's very easy to, you know, have a guy with a goat who's dragging him, dragging the goat across <laughs> wind chimes and things like that. <laughs> 50,000 didgeridoos. Anyway, the music scene I really enjoy. I think it's really fun. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, then uh, this leads to a rift with the band. They don't really like to... They're, they're sick of dealing with all his nonsense. Because he never once paid for drugs. Yeah. Not once. Not once. Um, so he's been abandoned by the band, and this is around the time where he sees Ghost Nate again, yes. but played by uh, Jonah Hill. <laughs> you can't have a Judd Apatow movie without Jonah Hill. He's uh, got to yeah. be there somewhere. Absolutely. Um, I'm surprised Seth Rogen didn't show up anywhere. Right. He must have been. Popping. He was probably busy. I get. He probably yeah. Uh, With what? What does he work on? That's not for Judd Apatow. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so then he decides to go clean again, and this is kind of when he's getting into like having his own TV variety show. Who was that supposed to be? Like I that think... was where it was kind of losing me. I get the point of like, yeah. okay, you're kind of selling out. Now you're just doing whatever someone will pay you to do, and this means nothing to you. Kinda. It's not I, art. I but... forgot to fact check this, but I believe Johnny Cash had a variety show in the oh, '70s, and okay. so I think this might have been tying back to that. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, when, when he was in a bit of a lull, he had his own, you know, he was no longer, like, ultra-relevant as a musician, and so he had, like, a variety TV show, I believe. There was Johnny the Johnny Cash, Cash show. show. Yep, 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 okay. So there's that, um, and then uh, he kind of, uh, he's motivated to now go reconcile with Pa, um, and uh, he has uh, uh, this, this kind of tenuous uh, meeting with, with, with his father that ends in his father challenging him to a machete fight again. And Pa, accidentally, yeah, <laughs> pa accidentally halves himself. That was pretty funny. That line, oh my goodness, I've halved myself. I've halved myself. I never realized until this moment how easy it was to accidentally cut someone in half with a machete. <laughs> yeah. That was, it was a sweet moment of reconciliation. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, too little, too late. Yeah. Um, but, 
anyway, yeah, so that, that kind of wraps up his arc with his father, and he, he's kind of starting to slow down at this point, and he wants to reconnect with his children, uh, and so there's a great montage of having a catch with his son, um, which leads to him having a catch with all of his, all of his children. His which 97 is, children. Yeah. Um, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and then, uh, 1992, Darlene returns. They're both old now. And so, uh, this is the point where it's like, he's kind of given up on music. He's living the simple life. He has, he has reached a, a Zen period of his, of his life where he is complete balance in his existence and he's perfectly yes. happy. Um, but then Dreidel Lachayim, mm-hmm. who is the son of his former manager, shows up and tells him, you're a sensation now. This hip hop guy has just st- sampled one of your old songs and you are now relevant to the youth. And so there was this great demand for him to emerge after many years of public eye hibernation. Um, and he's been he's up for this Lifetime Achievement Award. Yep. Uh, and that more or less brings us to the end, where his song that sums up his entire life is uh, is performed on stage in front of his adoring fans. And uh, he, he immediately dies. dies. Yeah. He immediately dies <laughs> as soon as the performance dies. is over with. We never see it, though. It's, of course, a freeze frame and uh, white text. So that uh, <laughs> the hip-hop sampling was funny. It reminded me of, um, oh, man, what is it? Of uh, What was the Kanye West, Ray Charles thing with, uh, with right. Jamie Foxx doing the Ray Charles song? Movie-wise, though, it reminds me. It's just one of those, like, uber explicit uh-huh. hip-hop songs oh 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 uh, uh you're probably thinking of tropic thunder i am thinking of tropic, tropic thunder, thunder with the Al booty Pacino. sweat yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah i was like because that's another like that's almost not even a biopic reference although the kanye uh-huh. but they never bring that up in Ray, not really not really because i mean that was you know long after his death yeah. but um the just the yeah it's a movie reference of right yeah, yeah, yeah. when you have a fake hip hop song and it is just like so over the top oh, yeah. irreverently mm-hmm. explicit um but yeah that was pretty funny and then they did like the the mashup of all these different artists and then hip hop artists coming out during his uh his were, like uh, yeah, yeah, celebration. Right. It was like Ghostface Killa and yeah. uh, 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 Lyle Lovett and Jewel were like the yeah. three people. <laughs> uh, that was so funny. Um, we 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 blew past this part, but um, when uh, Darlene shows up in 1992, like a couple scenes earlier, um, that's when Dewey's sense of smell returns, which we forgot to mention at the beginning. He his big thing was that like Ray Charles went blind because of his trauma. He loses his sense of smell, which is kind of a one note joke. It's not that funny. Okay, is that what I was like? Is this just referencing? That I was one of those so. things. That yeah. I was like, what is the point? I think that was it. And okay. it was kind of like overdone for like that one thing. But I did think it was almost worth it for the one joke where Darlene shows up and like they're hugging and he's like, he's like, I smelt it. I smelt it. Oh, you've been driving a while. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Uh, that was, yeah, okay. I think anyway. I missed that joke, but it, uh, yeah. Regardless. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's basically the full story. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. There's just something about this movie that every time I watch it, there's it's so dense with gags. Very much like a Mel Brooks movie. I think it has yes. a lot more to do with a Mel Brooks movie, than, and more in common with a Mel Brooks movie than most Apatow movies. That's fair. Mel Brooks, now that you say it, it does feel... Very Mel Brooks. Like this with Blazing Saddles, I think, would make a great double feature, too. Mm, yeah. Um, even Robin Hood Men in Tights. Like yes, that one's mm-hmm. even, yeah, also a genre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, uh, um, I as I watched it, because I hadn't watched it in a couple of years, and as I did rewatch it, I was like, man, I, it is dumb, but it does open the door for a lot of like little nuggets where I'm like, man, I want to watch, I, I do want to watch any of the celebrity cameos as 
famous people. I would watch an entire movie like this of them as that person. Yes, yes. Like they the, could have spun this off a million times. The Jack White Elvis movie I would watch, absolutely. Yes. The, uh, Why the Beatles movie. Why are there not movie. more Elvis biopics? I I don't know. He appears in a, a lot of things. He's a hard man to distill. He's a hard man to distill. Kurt Russell played him really well in a made-for-TV biopic that oh. like John Carpenter of all people directed hmm. um, back in like I want to say like '78 or something. Um, it's very good. It's yeah. it, as, as biopics go. It's a very good one. Um, and Kurt Russell is a great Elvis. John Carpenter doing well within an Elvis biopic, but yes, um, I, yeah, that's just a weird one that you know. I, I feel like. Uh, Johnny Cash was the one that they latched onto for uh-huh. this because obviously because of Walk the Line, but also because he's just like an archetype yeah. in himself. But like Elvis is kind of right. the archetype. So yeah, and I think it's because like as he's such an overexamined figure, I think it might mm. be difficult to come up with like a new angle or come up with like a uh, uh, like a perspective on the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember a long time ago I listened to an interview with Quentin Tarantino where he was talking about how he doesn't particularly like biopics for all these reasons and I'm like I can't argue with that. Yeah. But what he said was the example he gave was like I don't necessarily need to see Elvis's life story. I would be much more interested in a movie about Elvis that focused on like the one day that he decided to walk into Sun Studios. I'm like, mm. yeah, that's much more interesting than trying to shoehorn an entire life into a narrative. Right, which is much more that Darkest Hour yeah. model to- than 100 percent Rocket Man, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. Ray, all those. Um, but uh, if you haven't watched it, uh, the HBO series. I guess now, I, uh, if, a, if a series only runs for one season, can we just call it a miniseries? I mean, it only ran for one season. Do you, you feel know. satisfied with that one season? No, but not because it was only one season. Oh, okay. um, it was just not good. Um, but Then yes. <laughs> um, Could have been good, but uh, wasn't. Anyway, uh, the main character is like an A&R guy, like record guy. And in the show, it takes oh, place in the 70s. The, um, uh, vinyl? Vinyl, yeah. Okay. Bobby Cannavale. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a scene in one, of the sh- in one of the episodes where he is trying to get Elvis to sign. This is when Elvis is in his like residency period in, in Vegas. Mm. And so he's not really doing a whole lot. And so they're trying to get him to like sign on to his record label. And that is one of the best Elvis portrayals I've ever seen. Because it's like middle-aged, fat Elvis mm-hmm. who is kind of like living in his ivory tower, literally, and, like, you know, Colonel Tom Parker is there and, like, kind of controlling his life. It's really interesting. Um, so if you haven't seen it, that's kind of a good, you know, very small one scene in the life of Elvis kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, as to why there hasn't been another Elvis biopic, just give it a while. I'm sure there's one. I'm sure there's a script floating around somewhere. You need to do something experimental or something. I, I agree. Yeah. I feel like that's probably why. It's just, like, it's a hard story. Mm-hmm. To reconcile, but... Well, likewise, has there been a movie about the Beatles? Yeah, that's a good point. So. I don't think so. Uh, I do love, and this leveraged it really well, and I still got the same amount of enjoyment from it, but when movies don't... Uh, when when people that you know make a cameo in yeah. another movie, and, like, it's... You know, they're just that brief intersection, but you get to see that person's life for mm-hmm. a second... I thought it was just as enjoyable here as it is when they're being earnest about it. So yeah. it's always fun. And it's funny to be like, oh, Frankie Muniz as, uh, <laughs> as um, who, he wasn't Bob Buddy Holly. Buddy, Buddy Holly, yeah. yeah. It was funny because in the commentary they said that like that was the only, of all the cameos, that was the only one where they like wrote somebody's name in on the script where they said Buddy Holly is backstage, parentheses, Frankie Muniz, question mark. Amazing. <laughs> Everyone else was like, eh. 
I'm surprised. It seemed like the Beatles, they might have gone in being like, these are the people we need. Yeah, I, I, I could totally see that. Um, but yeah, I, um, this movie definitely makes me think that, you know, if you had to, if like gun to your head, you were writing a music biopic and you could not include any of the cliches that are in this movie, mm-hmm. what would that movie look like? And I legitimately want an answer to that question from Hollywood. It's like, yeah. if you can't do any of these things that have been done a billion times, what will you focus on? Yeah. Um, because the, the one that bugs me the most is the genesis of a song. It's like, mm. I don't necessarily need to know where this song came from or how it developed unless that is in itself a very interesting story. Right, yeah, I mean like Pet Sounds is a great example, but even I think Bohemian Rhapsody kind of talked about, if this is true, I haven't uh-huh. verified, but um, the making of Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. that could have been a really cool movie. I did not need all the outside fabricated, I for agree. the most part, drama. So and yeah, yeah. Totally agree. And with Bohemian Rhapsody, that's exactly kind of my go-to example of how a movie that could have been a lot more interesting, still doing kind of the same thing. The whole recording of Night at the Opera out at the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. If that was the whole movie, I would have been much more interested personally. Yeah, because I mean, I I don't think I need to see any more of the drama in mm-hmm. a musician's life. What I want to see is how did they, what were the creative decisions that led them to the things mm-hmm. that we know now? Yeah. And I think there's so many things to be mined there that you could avoid a lot of cliches because that is, there is some arc. There's a final note yeah. there when you finish this product that we all know, but I, I feel like they, there's so much bogging down in the like, and then their manager who they had an affair with was only in it for the money. And it's just, we've seen that story a million times. And it's like, that doesn't need to be hammered home. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of thing can be hinted at. It doesn't need to even, it doesn't need to be super explicit about like, this was a bad relationship and that made him feel angry or yeah. anything like that. But then also, the, again, with the the creative inspiration thing, you would think that Hollywood screenwriters would, of all people, understand that creative inspiration never comes from one source. Mm-hmm. So why is it portrayed that way with musicians in movies where it's like, oh, this one experience that they had was the thing that influenced them to write this magnum opus? Yeah, that's, that's the movie I want to see. I want to yeah. see the movie that examines those, like, all those decisions, all like, those influences, just for one thing. Like a Slumdog Millionaire style thing, mm. where it's like constantly like jumping back to like, this is where this came from, and this is where that came from, and this yeah. reminded me of that, and this reminded me of that. That, I think, could be a really interesting thing for like the songwriting. Like when the, this musician actually put pen to paper to write the lyrics to this song, or when they were noodling around on the guitar, or whatever the deal is. What were they thinking about at that time? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a much harder thing to quantify, and that might be why it's not really spelled out. And like maybe they don't, like the person themselves, if they're alive, doesn't even really know exactly where it came from. It's like, I don't know, I just wrote this song. Yeah. Um, but I, yes, I do think that'd make for a much more interesting movie. Totally. Um, Any other notable scenes or moments that you, that we haven't discussed? I mean, we kind of hit them all. I mean, this movie is <laughs> Any like. Any other quotes you want to throw out uh, there while I, I, you're on mic? <laughs> I had so many written down, but I, I, I don't know. It is really, just watch, just watch the movie. Um, I might find a super cut of like best quotes or something to drop in here. I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be the whole movie. It's going to be, yeah. Uh, this movie, this podcast this is hour three hours long. Yeah. Clip. yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I know you didn't love this movie necessarily, but um, I mean, what did you like about it? 
what did you not find? What did you think could have been better? Is there anything that you thought like, ah, oh, man, this is okay, but I, I, it would be better if it was like this? Anything like that? or? Um, I think some of the jokes they hit a little too hard and they weren't, there wasn't enough there to keep hitting, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, I, I, I don't know, even down to, I think when they reunite with Darlene, uh, Darlene and Dewey reunite, mm-hmm. it's like the makeout scene and mm-hmm. they're just like making out and it's disgusting. That, stuff like that where it's like, okay, like this is what we're spending our energy and our yeah. time on in the movie. Whereas there's some really smart things underlying and I totally believe that they had, mm-hmm. you know, an iceberg's worth of, of research and knowledge and care for the genre that I just feel like never made it to the surface. It's yeah. a lot of pretty easy jokes that you could have you could have done in a sketch. like it's... It, it does go way too broad, way too often. But honestly, mm-hmm. I think that was all for ticket sales. I think that was just like a marketing move more than anything else, which is kind of a bummer that like a smarter version of this movie was not seen as like a profitable idea, which is probably accurate, but it's kind of a bummer that that is the the movie going call. Had, it, had that been the case, this movie would have never been able to afford to be as as glossy as it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, but even for that, it didn't feel that glossy like uh, there's no you know it uses a lot of like i know i'm trying to find it as well Uh, they use a lot of like kind of c-level actors no offense i love all of them but none of them Uh, they it doesn't pull on star power for anybody okay so this is a 35 million dollar movie that's a pretty mid-budget hollywood movie i would say yeah like a low mid-budget movie that's true I, I think you could have made that budget back with a much smaller, or a much smarter movie. You I think that, there's an audience. The box that. office was only twenty million, so it didn't even make its budget back. Really, I think it could have made more with a smarter movie. I, honestly, I, hope you're I think right. I, hope I you're think right. it missed the people who could have really been into this and didn't hit with wider audiences that wouldn't get it. Yeah. You know, that wouldn't that don't need it. So, I, I think they they misshot it a little bit, but. Um, but I mean, that being said, I did have some real genuine laughs in it. I think I talked about most of those moments. Um, I do love any, Kristen Wiig is one of those people. I think we've talked about this, those like actors that you would basically just see anything they're in. Yeah, That's, and totally. she's one of those for me. So I was like, I'm happy to see her in whatever. Love Jenna Fisher. Um, yeah. So I, it was, it was clever and I definitely will be thinking about it next time I watch a music biopic. I'll yeah. leave it there. Um, and also one quick side note before we get to your review, um, during the marketing for this movie, John C. Riley toured in character as Dewey Cox and performed not only songs from the movie soundtrack, but other popular songs. Like there's a great video online of him performing the Beastie Boys sabotage in character as Dewey Cox. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to look that up. It's good stuff. Um, yeah, that's, I, I can believe it. I do really like John C. Riley and think he's very talented and this would have been, I, I don't think I would have found anything redeeming about this movie if he hadn't done such a good yeah, job, but, yeah. um, <laughs> such, such is this podcast, I suppose. So, yeah. Uh, but my review, I'll lay it on yeah. you. While Walk Hard hits all the right notes of music biopar- biopic parody, it never quite makes it to the big time. It maps nearly shot for shot onto the well-worn genre, which does get some well-earned laughs, but in the end, its lack of a unifying philosophy makes it feel more like a string of comedy sketches than an actual film. Very fair. I could not agree more. I still think I, I still like the movie uh, in spite of all. Totally of Totally fair. And I don't. 
I feel like the real test of it, whether or not I like find a movie irredeemable is if I feel like I wasted my time watching mm -hmm. it and I didn't feel like I wasted my time here. So it's a pretty easy watch. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, it's got some good laughs. It's got some great people like we've talked about and it is, it's worth at least highlighting, like putting a hat on all these different, <laughs> right. uh, you know, this happens a lot. Maybe next time we're watching a movie, we can do better Hollywood. We can expect a little bit more of the, it's, the writers. It's, it's funny. And again, in the, in the meta sense that has been the through line for this whole discussion, I think that it's funny that this movie that is saying that biopics could be better is itself a parody that could definitely be better. Yes. Yeah. I mean... Can't, yeah, it's a little harder maybe than they because thought. Because how going many into cliches it. of parodies of established genres does this movie adhere to? Yeah, quite a few. True. Quite yeah, a few. Yep. So you're on notice, Apatow. <laughs> We're on to you. Do better than 2007. Yeah. Uh, cool. Okay, so that just about wraps up our discussion about Walk Hard. So what do we have on the docket for next time? All right, your categories are. Oh boy. The Best Laid Plans, Ooh. or A Journey in Time. Ooh, I do love a good time travel movie. Um, yeah, let's do that, Journey in Time. Okay. Are we trying to be modern, or are we trying to be in the past? Dang, who do you think you are, me? <laughs> I know. Uh, let's go to the past. Okay, great. All right, um, do we want to be... Holy smokes. I know, okay, this is <laughs> we, last, we took a, last We took option. a week off, and now it's all, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been working on this for weeks. <laughs> Um, okay, do we want to, are you in for another more or less biopic or mm. something a little more fictional? Let's go for fictional. All right, interesting. So this is very much in the trend maybe of uh, movies I've picked this season. <laughs> so not thrilled. Can I, can I take a stab at it? I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm going to write it down and... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell me yet. Hold on a second. I think I might know what you're going to pick. I want to write down what I think you're going to pick. <laughs> I'm going to write do it down. Do it, do it. Oh, man, this is good. Okay. Okay, um, lay it on me. So, I'm going to take you to a cozy but eclectic retreat in England. Oh. This is a little indie film. Um, you know, you'll, you'll know why I like it immediately. Uh, called Austin Land. Oh, okay. Came out not so awfully long ago. Tell me, wait, wait, wait. Tell me what you thought. I wrote down Kate and Leopold. Oh, okay. I didn't know you hadn't seen that one. I have not seen that um, movie. <laughs> I'm not sure I have strong feelings about it, okay, but okay. I'll, I'll put it on the list just in case. Um, I thought you were going to say Ever After. Oh, uh, okay. All Another right. great one. Uh, um, uh, that's the Cinderella story one, right? Is that yes. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Drew Barrymore. Got um, it. Okay. So Austin Land came out in 2013 starring Carrie Russell. Mm -hmm. Very low-key movie. There's a couple other pretty recognizable people or semi-recognizable people. Um, obviously... Love a good Jane Austen novel. Oh, Love a good period piece. Um, it's just a quirky movie. I'm interested to see what you make of it. But that'll be next week. Awesome. I'm actually really interested in that because I, um, I, we talked about it way back in our episode about Pride and Prejudice mm -hmm. um, briefly. Um, and one that I've heard about for a while. But, um, you know, I'm interested. I'm fascinated in fan culture because, like, I'm really into the things that I like. Mm -hmm. But I'm really curious to see how that is portrayed uh, and being able to look at it from the outside on something that, like, I understand that there are people that are super into this. I'm not necessarily one of them. Mm -hmm. And to be able to kind of see that examined in this kind of, like, almost... It seems like it's almost like a satirical kind of a thing. Like, a, like a light satire, almost. Yeah. I guess I'll find well, out next we'll, week. Yeah. We'll oh, see. Yeah, 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 we'll yeah. talk about it. Um, yeah, I... 
I saw this with one of my friends in college that we both love period pieces. Mm -hmm. So it it was it was fun to witness fan culture nice. to something you are a fan of. Although we will talk about this, but there's degrees. Oh, totally. Of, yeah. I mean, of anything. So. Um, yeah, I'm concerned how this may reflect on me, but we'll talk about <laughs> the shades of fandom. Uh, but that'll be, yeah, that, I'm excited to see cool. what you say, what you have to awesome. what you think. Well, I'm already really interested um, because I, as having heard of the movie, I know almost nothing about it. So that's cool. Um, excellent. Well, um, so that is going to do it for us for this week. Once again, of course, be sure to subscribe, uh, rate us, review us, uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, shoot us an email uh, if you just want to send us some nice words. Or if you are interested in being a guest, send us your list of movies that we can uh, uh, sort through. Uh, again, that we've email narrowed address. our email yeah. <laughs> window. This is the only type of emails we will the accept. The only type now. of emails we'll accept, otherwise, we'll send them right back to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, at Sorry, K cannot be delivered. <laughs> uh, yeah, email us at khyspodcast at gmail.com. Um, but uh, until next week, my name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And this is K Have You Seen. We'll see you next time. See ya. I don't give a damn what anyone thinks. I stay up all night and I smoke and I drink I'm a wanted man and I'm blowing town Don't waste your time trying to hunt me down The cops are saying I belong behind bars And I'm guilty, guilty. I'm guilty as charged